telling people to like you on Facebook is, is basically saying to a thousand people who are interested in your brand, I'll take one of you. <laughs> I, it's just, just mind boggling. So I would focus on building up your email list because that gives you the ability to continuously communicate, stay in touch with people who care about what you are doing. Welcome to the Inbound Buzz Podcast, your weekly jolt of all things digital and inbound marketing brought to you by redpandas.com.au. Now for your host and co-founder of Red Pandas, Moby Sadiq. Back in 2017, I described my following guest as having the best haircut at the Inbound Conference in Boston. If you've been in the world of digital for more than a couple of years, you've heard about Ran Fishkin. He's the founder of Moz, an SEO tool and community he ran until 2018. And for the past two years, he's been at the helm of Spark Turo, an audience intelligence tool, which we'll talk about later. Ran, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Moby. Awesome. Well, so you didn't know I was going to throw that um, one at you, did you? But um, as, a, as a person who also likes taking care of his hair, you need to know that there are other people who appreciate it when you, when you do put in the effort. It's, it's tough right now. My, uh, my wife, Geraldine, <laughs> just gave me a haircut yesterday and uh, she's, you know, she's learning. She's doing the best she can. I think it's, I think it's you know, solid. That is, that is so funny you say that. I've, I've got, I usually go get my hair cut as well. And my last two haircuts, I've gotten my wife to do yeah. fades, right? I'm yeah. also a fan of the fade. Exactly. And she, she did pretty well. I mean, yeah. I can't tell you got a fade from your wife. Yeah, no. yeah it's, uh, you know, not quite, not quite perfect everywhere, but hey, I mean, we're in quarantine. She's doing amazing work. Uh, I, I tried to give her a fade on the back of her. Uh, she's got kind of an undercut in the back and um, I didn't do a perfect job either. So <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we just cute. do the That's best we cute. can. That's awesome. Everyone's going through the same thing, but there you go. Um, Rand, I usually, so there's usually for any, any of our listeners, we like to start with strategy. We go into tactics and then we go personal, but if you don't mind, I sort of want to start with a personal one. Um, I mean, if you don't mind, I'd love to share with you the most profound impact you had on me as a young marketer first up. Um, look, and, and this was back in, it was where I, I kind of, you know, gave you the, uh, the title of the best haircut at Inbound back in, I think it was 2018, actually, not 2017. Um, and you were speaking about, I don't even know how you linked it. You were actually talking about, you know, being yourself. It, you, this may ring any bells. You're talking about, uh, and I've got some notes here, as a heterosexual, self-confessed, effeminate boy growing up who played with Barbie dolls, who's the world to tell him he's strange or different? And man, that really resonated with me because, I mean, not that, you know, I played with Barbie dolls or anything, but uh, and there's nothing wrong with that if you did, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I, I felt different too. Like I grew up in a very kind of, you know, uh, low key sort of masculine type of place where I kind of felt out of place. And then it's funny that almost carried over in my adulthood where, you know, people call it now um, imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. Where I'm like, look, I have to be a certain way. You know, like I remember reading this book, which I regret reading in my early corporate career, uh, how you had to be a D head to get ahead. And I thought, man, I, can't, I, I got a bit, I guess so. I, I gave it a go and it didn't work for me. So w watching that at the time, and, and you have to understand, Ren, that that's of all the things I've followed you for a long time, that's one thing that stuck with me. Being yourself, um, being not necessarily vulnerable, but, but just being comfortable in your own skin. So I just wanted to share that with you first up and thank you for that. Oh, thanks, man. No, that means a ton. I'm, um, I'm always surprised to find different things resonate with different people. But, but that, you know, that means a lot more to me than, Hey, I learned how to 
you know, increase my Google ranking by <laughs> a little bit. Like, I'm happy to help folks on that front too, right? And I'm glad that that uh, that I've been able to do that work with Moz. But certainly, I think that um, being able to be vulnerable, being able to be who we want to be, yeah, that that means a huge amount. Awesome, awesome. Uh, I got that out of the, and now I can sort of relax and stop fangirling a little bit and get into it. So thank you for that. Um, look, speaking of, you know, the whole, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier. We're all going through the same thing. We're all getting our haircuts cut by our, our partners and whatnot. Um, I, I sort of want to start high level, sort of high strategy. What are you finding right now that marketers are doing right? The, the, the businesses and brands that are pivoting either from a messaging point of view, positioning point of view, product point of view, marketing what do you find that marketers are doing right right now? Yeah, uh, I think that on all of those vectors, it's, the answer is a little bit different, right? So on positioning, certainly one of the things that's working, working well in the B2B world that historically did not was uh, our product will help save you money versus our product will help you get growth, right? So classic B2B positioning is don't save people money, help them get growth except when it's an economic recession or depression, in which case, save people money, right? And so that, that switch is a pretty obvious one. Um, on the product front, I think folks who are uh, shifting up their, their products features or roadmap or how their product can be applied to um, individuals and businesses that still have resources, that is making a big difference, right? So essentially, uh, there's a huge swath of the you know economic pie everything from energy sector to travel and lodging and hospitality to uh events and sports and you know a hundred others that are way way down and then there's some right there's sort of like b2b software well hit miss here or there uh marketing and advertising down, but not universally down, uh, and some sectors that are sort of rising, uh, e-commerce, obviously, um, uh, uh, groceries, uh, food delivery, recipes, uh, all that kind of gardening, home improvement projects, uh, right? And so essentially those products that are taking advantage of recognizing where people's shifting demand is happening and then serving those shifting demands effectively, that's, that's making a big difference. And it, this is just, it's basically just uh, shrinking the time frame for a lot of this, right? Anybody who's built a product or done marketing knows that this is what you have to do. You go figure out what your audience needs, what your customers' needs are, you go serve those needs. And, and the pandemic has basically just concentrated, you know, decades worth of, of change into a few months. Right. Everyone in the world is changing all of a sudden. And so we all have to reset our, our product, our positioning, our marketing channels and tactics, uh, our pricing. Mm. It's the best time to do it, right? Habits are in flux right now. So a necessity bre breeding innovation yeah, is certainly true. I don't know if it's the best time to do it, but, but it is, <laughs> it's absolutely essential that you do it, right? Uh, you know, we've done this with SparkToro. We, we essentially, we started our launch in, at the end of February and had very good results with our initial early access groups. And then into March, we started sending more of those and we're seeing, you know, conversion rates are falling, engagement rates are falling, right? Everybody's just cons completely consumed by the, the pandemic news and shift to working at home and all that kind of stuff. And so 
we switched our strategy from, hey, let's try and launch with pay, as many paid customers as we can and push people toward the paid package to let's try and get, let's make the free package more generous and get more people using the product for free and getting value from it. And then in the future, right, we have some money in the bank from our investment. We have some, you know, um, some time that we can spend. So let's try and make it such that if things start to recover in six to nine months, we're there for that upswing rather than trying to like convince the few people who have dollars right now to spend right now. Yeah. Fair call. It's all about the pivot hundred yeah. percent. So, so I think a lot of marketers are getting value out of investing in future demand right now. Mm-hmm. And just getting that mind share right now. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, I wonder if this sort of ties into your, your marketing or comms plans for Sparkturo, but I talk a lot about hub and spoke content uh, in marketing. Everyone has the same thing in a slightly different way, but just for those who, who don't follow it in, th- in those terms, but the idea of having one thing you do really, really well and then cutting it up into spoke. So for example, and that's not just sharing your podcast, a link on YouTube and sharing the link that's repurposing. So for example, if I have this podcast, I may cut up a few carousel slide images for Instagram. I may, t- might, may take some snippets from you, Rand. I may, may put it in an email, may put an article. So as an outside observer, and I don't know this to be true, but as an outside observer, I feel like Whiteboard Fridays, and for anyone who hadn't watched Whiteboard Fridays in your Moz days, uh, it's where every Friday you do the, you have a whiteboard in the back, and you really were the pioneer of, here's a whiteboard, and I'm going to share a visual strategy. Or I've, I've still, I've got one in my, uh, my home office. I don't know if you can see over there. Oh, nice. Not, and I saw you brought back the strategy for Sparkturo as well, yeah, yeah. by the way. Yeah, which I think is awesome, right? Um, but, but as an outsider, I sort of felt, if I was observing that, perhaps that was your hub and spoke type of hmm. strategy. Like, and, and I just want to ask you, what was the strategy, including things like the focus, the frequency, could that re- be replicated today? And are you doing that for Sparkturo? If you can kind of, if that, if that makes sense. Um, the answer is yes ish. So the way that I think about this strategy is I, I think twofold, right? One is a hub and spoke in, in the idea that you have a core strength something that you're really good at, and you leverage that across multiple platforms in multiple ways. But I think the other component piece that's really important to me, and, and I think should be really important to every marketer, every brand, is uh, a, a way that you can scale that process with decreasing friction, right? To essentially build a flywheel. So example, right? Let's, let's say that your flywheel was like mine at Moz, which was essentially uh, built on the back of blog content. And Whiteboard Friday is essentially a spoke off of the hub of the the Moz blogs content, right? I was blogging every night, you know, five nights a week for whatever, five years, and then eventually uh, expanded that into video and and, and other things as well. But the, uh, the flywheel of it was, you know, figure out some things, have good intuition about what is going to do well in the industry, what's going to help a lot of people. Um, both be useful to them and help them amplify it, right? Help people go share this thing. Produce that piece of content, that's sort of the the base of the flywheel, Uh, amplify it across the channels that we have, email, uh, social networks, um, you know, ping other people about it to get them to share. Uh, And then as as that gets amplified, your email list grows, more people subscribe to it, more people follow you on the social networks, hopefully, right? Uh, 
and you earn links and traction with Google, which helps you rank better. So you, you've essentially made it such that next time you publish content, excuse me, next time you publish content, it's a little bit easier, right? And it, every piece of content you publish thereafter has a little more chance of reaching more and more people. Uh, and that's essentially the kind of flywheel model that, that we built at Moz. And I would, I would do it again. I am doing it again at SparkToro, but with a little bit of a different bent. Most of the focus with SparkToro, instead of being on purely content, is much more about um, free tools. So the free SparkToro tool and a couple of free ancillary tools, the trending product, which, which has sort of marketing news, uh, the fake followers analysis, the, the Spark score, so that kind of stuff. Yeah, awesome. And, and you're still, uh, I mean, wow, I didn't know you were blogging every night. And I think one of those things that maybe Spark... I mean, not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore, thank God. But <laughs> back in my early days, yeah, yeah. Like every night I was just trying to, you know, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. That was like prime blogging hour. Not, not, not to go too hard into the whole hustle culture, right? But I think yeah. one thing I don't want to lose there is, um, I mean, maybe not for kind of bigger brand marketers that sit in, you know, brand teams and whatnot, and uh, maybe not for them. But I think one thing I don't want to lose there is as a sort of startup, you kind of have to do that, right? You kind of have to eat, eat that grit for a little while. Like you have to, you know what I mean? Like you got, you, if, if it's not every night, but you got to punch it for a little while, don't you? Uh, I certainly, I certainly see um, value and have that recommendation that, you know, if you have time and energy to concentrate on something and get good at it by repeat, repeatedly investing in it, that is really useful. What I will say about my own blogging was I foolishly was very, very tactical about it. I did not, it took me a long time to learn the skill of figure out what works and doesn't work and invest in the things that do work rather than the things that don't and um, sort of uh, invest in getting better at it rather than just doing it. So I, I would say, I would, I would guess that most people should not, you know, work whatever, 60 or 80 hours a week and keep focusing on like, oh, I just got to create this content and put it out there. You can be way, way smarter and do what I did in 20 hours a week in two hours a week. That, that would be my advice. I think, I think working smarter, not harder is a really, really good skill. And in fact, I probably, during that time frame, I, I don't think I was getting enough sleep and that probably made my content worse and it made my thinking worse and it made my stress higher, which also made my thinking worse, mm. right? So I, I think I got caught up in the hustle culture myself and was actually less successful than I would have been if I had sort of taken a step back and maybe watched a little more TV and gone to sleep earlier and, you know, gotten uh, healthy exercise and, and those kinds of things. So just quickly, Randy, saying tactically that, uh, you know, you know, maybe it would have been better, you know, to do, do slightly less, but mean, be more strategic about the content. Um, yeah, I probably, yeah. I probably should have been, um, instead of producing five posts a week, I probably should have been doing one uh, really useful or good one. Yeah, I think I was I was obsessed with quantity. Um, I was obsessed with yeah the hustle of like putting in the work and putting the numbers. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I did that with the podcast for two years. Religiously, I was doing it every week to the point where I was in Bali with my wife. She was asleep two o'clock in the morning. I was in a corner in a bathtub recording it because it had the best acoustics. And yeah, I, I, was, I was doing the same thing, hitting the numbers. Whereas if I just stopped, was a bit more strategic about it. Yeah, I, I follow yeah. you there. Okay, that makes and, sense. And I mean, weirdly enough, right? All the, all the research shows that this is true. If you take someone who's you know, been studying for a test and you uh, give them whatever, a week off of just uh, piecing out and, and stress relief, they tend to do better than the people who hunker down and cram for that last week. Right. I think I think like popular culture and and sort of this business hustle culture uh, biases our thinking to believe that human beings minds work one way when in fact we work a very different way. Right. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, Moby, where you're like, oh, I go on vacation and I come back to a full inbox and like a big to do list and you just boom, pound through it. You're like, oh, my God, how did I get all that done? And like one or two days coming back from vacation. It's because vacation made you more productive, mm, right? That off right. time actually makes you a more productive person. I can feel it all the time, right? Like once you start to identify it in yourself, you can feel it where you go into a day and you're like, man, everything is just a slog. I can barely get through my inbox. Usually it doesn't take me so long. You know what? I need to just call it a day at 2 p.m. and go do other fun stuff and then tomorrow pick it up again. And Oh, look at that. I'm through the whole thing in two hours. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Right. Rand. Like my problem has been, I'm good at telling other people to do that. Like as a leader, you're like, Hey, you know, like there's, there's someone who's listening and she'll get a big kick out of this name. Sasha. She works hard. And I tell her, look, you need to take that break. You, it, it, whether I'm saying this self, uh, selflessly or selfishly, Selflessly, it's better for you. Self, selfishly, as an employer, you're going to be more productive. But right. yes. you have to like push yourself to do it for yourself. It's often easier to tell others. Um, yeah. But yeah, good advice. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. Um, it, it's funny. I was watching a lot of, just in the prep for this interview, I was watching a lot of your stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Randy's kind of like the Robin Hood of marketing, right? And I'll, ex I'll explain why, because like, and, you, and one thing I really like about you, you know, there's a couple of people I really follow. You're definitely, you know, one of those top guys who I follow. Um, you talk about, you're not scared to call people out. You're not scared to call networks out and Google. And, and I'm, I wonder if you get any flack for that from those guys. But, but anyway, you, you're not scared to call them out. And you've spoken about, I love how you've sort of said, you know, you've kind of, it was easier at, at your time and you don't want to sort of pull the ladder up behind you. I, re I really sort of like that. And late last year, I referenced you in one of my podcast episodes, you were talking about things like, you know, Google has taken, I think you said 50% of all traffic now results in zero clicks. Um, I guess, I mean, not necessarily that this isn't some SEO advice, but you know, what, what high level SEO advice would you give to people or just awareness people? Cause it is so, it is so much harder to actually get awareness and traction these days. Um, yeah. How do, do young brands or, companies that have been around for a while, but only now need, need to get that awareness. How do they sort of circumvent those problems? Uh, so I, my recommendation is that you really concentrate on uh, three things. One is uh, building up your email list. So email is one of the few things that on the, in web marketing, you get to own and control independent of any network, right? We, we've all seen the stats, you know, Facebook, whatever it was eight years ago, 
the average Facebook page post reached, you know, four or 5% of an audience uh, of a page's audience. And we were, marketers were up in arms about this. Like, how dare you Facebook? You're only showing it to four or 5%. Today, that number is 0.08%. People aren't complaining as much, but they should be, right? They should be infuriated. Why did I ever bother building up my Facebook page likes? Telling people to like you on Facebook is, is basically saying to a thousand people who are interested in your brand, I'll take one of you. <laughs> it's just, just mind boggling. So I would focus on building up your email list because that gives you the ability to continuously communicate, stay in touch with people who care about what you are doing. Um, the second thing I would invest in is content that exists first and foremost on your site and every other network drives uh, that content, that drives visitors back to it. So for example, you know, if I were um, posting multimedia stuff, right? Uh, I strongly recommend that you take your embedded PowerPoint or SlideShare from your webinars and whatnot, and you put those on your website and you put the recorded version on your website. And then maybe you have the YouTube version that goes up 90 days later. But everybody, you know, you tell everyone in your channel, if you wanna get this stuff first, you gotta to come to our site, right? Our website is the place to come sign up for this. You put that video teaser on LinkedIn, you put the video teaser on Twitter, you put the video teaser on Facebook, you put the you know, snippet of that uh, video on Instagram. All of those channels should drive back to your website. So email, website, and then I, I think the third, uh, the third thing to recognize, especially with, um, with search engines and SEO, is that you need to be doing uh, essentially thoughtful uh, keyword research and keyword targeting. And, and but what I mean by thoughtful is aware of what the search results look like and how they do or don't drive traffic. So the classic SEO was like, find the highest volume keywords that match your searcher's intent, go try to rank for those. And I think you have to add in a layer of what does the search results look like and could, if I rank number one, would I actually get traffic to this query? Because if I can't, I should go after lower searched for terms that Google doesn't try and cannibalize. And, and so that's sort of a uh, using click-through rate, estimating click-through rate, ad competition, competition from featured snippets, competition from all the uh, rich snippets that Google puts in their results. That stuff is really important too. I love it. And I love how your answer, you know, especially the first part of that, uh, it wasn't like a traditionally sexy one. You know, like I'm, I'm like, I'm huge on TikTok right now. Uh, it wasn't like, oh, I, I, and it's the only channel that I've actually done really well on, but it wasn't like go on TikTok or do this or do that. It's like, hey, basics, man, like build that email list. I, I am really nervous about people who build their brand on someone else's land. So, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, LinkedIn, Reddit, YouTube. So dangerous. Like, I can't tell you how many people I have talked to who are like, oh, back in this year or these years, I had so much play on Network X. And then what happened? Well, competition happened and the network lowered my visibility and uh, people stopped using that network for that thing as much and they got tired of my stuff. Whereas if you build it on your website, it never stops. You control it. 
Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to use that as a reminder to um, get people to see the show notes. And if you want to see the video version of this and uh, Rand's awesome glasses and his little figurines there, I've got some of my own figurines too. Um, then head over to redpandas.com.au forward slash EP 109, 109, EP 109. Um, okay, cool. So I want to talk about Spark Toro now. Um, and I remember when you first started, firstly, when you left Moz, I was like, oh, he's leaving Moz. But then, you know, what you started talking about was really, really exciting. And it was almost too good to be true. And I'm, I'm glad to sort of say that almost too good to be true thing is now live. And you were talking about, look, imagine knowing about like t- taking a persona or avatar, or whoever you sort of, you know, want to call them, label them and putting them into a search engine and finding out about them. And it's yeah. something that's plagued marketers for a long time. I think part of your problem, Rand, is going to be with Sparktura. It almost like sounds too good to be true, <laughs> which is awesome why you have this free version that people can sort of play with. So in your own words, talk about Sparktura, the problem that you guys found uh, that you had to solve and, and, and what it solves today. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think our big, you know, the big challenge that so many marketers face, especially if you don't have you know, massive budget of millions of dollars and a dev team to help you and, you know, uh, funds to throw out market research companies is that you want to understand your audience's behavior online, right? If you don't want to just throw money at Google and Facebook and let them sort out the targeting and, and face, you know, direct competition, if you want to go directly to the podcasts that your audience listen to and the web and the, the, the YouTube channels that they watch and the websites that they visit and the social accounts that they follow and build direct relationships of, of any kind for co-marketing, for advertising, for sponsorship, for, you know, oh, I want to pitch to uh, write a guest contribution. I want to pitch to be a guest on your show. I want to, whatever, every type of creative marketing, the ones that usually have the highest ROI, the ones that are, are, are the ones that, that don't have to go through the direct uh, channels, right? You don't have to do the pay YouTube to be in that YouTube video or be in the pre-roll ad or whatever. And finding those is ludicrously hard. I think a ton of the reason that that marketing ecosystem doesn't exist is because you can't figure out where your audience pays attention, right? Um, the other problem that we were really existing to solve is, have you ever had this where you, um, you know, I, I don't know if you worked agency side for a while, but, but like uh, a lot of agencies experience this and a lot of in-house teams too, where, you know, you go into the boardroom or you go into meeting room and the, the, the CMO or the CEO or whatever is like, I want to get us in the Wall Street Journal. Our customers read the Wall Street Journal. And you look at them and you're like, I, no, they, no, they don't. I, I'm pretty sure they don't. In fact, I'm pretty sure the only reason you're saying that is because you read the Wall Street Journal and your buddies at the golf course read the Wall Street Journal. And so you're assuming, you know, you're making these assumptions, and, but you can't bring data to that, right? You don't have a, oh, well, look, we went and looked at everything your customers uh, follow on all the social networks and what they uh, share on their websites. And we discovered that the Wall Street Journal is only uh, followed or engaged with by 2% of them. And here's these 20 publications that are engaged with more than that. We wanted to solve that problem too. So that's exactly what SparkToro does. You can, if you can describe an audience, right, what they talk about, what they put in their bio, uh, what their job title is, what hashtags they use on social media, what uh, they already follow or a website they already visit and engage with, we can give you data about where you can reach them and in what percentage. Yeah, and um, uh, we are agency, by the way, um, Rand. 
And for us and for any other agency folks listening out there, uh, we, a lot of us, a lot of our kind of remit is to identify personas, avatars, and then come up with media plans and, and where you should, you know, target them. So, I mean, it's like a no brainer for us, but um, Ren, I, I think you have an example to share. I mean, for, for the folks watching the video, if you sort of want sure. to get that ready, fire that up, but um, yeah, let's it's do just, it. yeah, it's, yeah, I, th- I think it's best if you maybe show an example and maybe uh, if you can kind of work on an application as well, like, so how someone would sort of apply this. So yeah, I can see a screen now. I think we're recording. So go ahead, Rand. And see yeah, your, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's imagine for a second that, uh, the, the people that we want to reach, we have a, um, maybe we have a product for security researchers, right? And folks who are in the um, digital security and computer cybersecurity space, which is, which is a big space right now and, and continually grow. So we, SparkToro has this idea that you can search in these uh, five different ways, right? My audience frequently talks about, and let's just try that one to start, cybersecurity. Oh my. Microphone and keyboard, slightly out of whack. Okay. So when we perform a search, what SparkToro is not going to do is go list people who talk about cybersecurity. That's, that's not how it works. SparkToro works by searching for profiles that talk about cybersecurity and then showing you the aggregate behavior that those accounts have, right? So 86,000 sources in our database frequently talk about cybersecurity. What we mean by that is they post on whatever, their Twitter, their LinkedIn, their public Facebook, their Instagram, their Reddit, what, what have you, um, or their about page of their website about cybersecurity uh, several times in the last 120-ish days. And so of those 86,000 sources who frequently talk about cybersecurity, this is a very large audience. Their behavior is pretty homogenous, meaning very similar to each other. And so we have high confidence that the audience data we're presenting is correct. I don't know the cybersecurity space at all. In fact, I probably should have performed this search before I did it with you, Moby, but I'm doing it for the first time anyway, because what the heck. So we can say, okay, almost half, 43,766 of these 86,000 profiles follow, share, or engage with Brian Krebs on one or more of his social networks. There you go, right? If you're a cybersecurity person, you might say, oh, well, how big is Brian Krebs really in the cybersecurity space? Real big. I've never heard of dark reading or info security mag, but they are also huge, right? So, and, and I can go see, I can go click through and then see a list of the sources, uh, the Hacker News, Threat Post, Security Week, SC Media, Black Hat, uh, SANS Institute, DEF CON, right? I know a couple of these brands, but I don't know a lot of them. Now you have a sense of like, oh, wait a minute. These are followed by, you know, trailing down from 40, 51% all the way to, you know, 40%, 39%, 35%. So huge portions of these audience follow these social accounts. And we can do the same thing with websites, uh, seeing, right, a list of which websites are visited and engaged with. So uh, same thing with podcasts, right? Same thing with uh I haven't heard of Smashing Security or RSA Radio, but they're, they're huge with these audiences. And podcast sponsorship is, is very inexpensive right now, as I'm sure you're aware, right? So if I were trying to reach the cybersecurity world with my new software product, my new hardware product, my new media outlet, bam, this is exactly where I'd go. If I were an, a, a podcaster or a YouTuber in the security space, these are the people I would invite. 
right? Uh, if I were looking for advertising sp uh, sponsorship or uh, co-marketing or doing an event together or putting together a webinar, this is who I do it with, right? And so I, I, we can sort of answer these core questions uh, in, really, with, in a really data-driven way, right? Showing, um, showing all of these sources. And then we have this final tab called Audience Insights, which shows a bunch of uh, text behavior and um, uh, geography-based data. So we know that people who frequently talk about cybersecurity also often in their uh, bio have words like data, privacy, cloud, IoT, infosec, information security, uh, speaker, uh, blockchain analyst, right? So all, all these kinds of words, and now you get a sense for like, oh, hang on, I could take that data to Facebook audience and say, find me people with InfoSec in their profile. I wanna to advertise to them. Find me people with CISSP. I don't actually even know what that is, but uh, a, a substantive percentage of people in the cybersecurity world have that in their profile, right? And I, I can see, right, geographic distributions where it's heaviest and lightest. Uh, there you go. And, and so of course awesome. you can, if you, you can cut that up as well. So obviously on your screen, I can see 80% uh, of those are in the US, blah, blah, blah. Right. But I could run that filter just for Australia as well. You which, could, absolutely. Which is awesome. Yeah, so you could say, I only want people who talk about cybersecurity in Australia and do that search. And now I, I, it'll probably be much, much smaller, you know, a few hundred, few thousand. Our Australia profile database is much smaller than our US one generally. But then... Oh, oh, okay. A thousand sources in Australia. Not bad. Not uh, bad. And then you can see what uh, is unique about this group and where they are geographically, Sydney, Melbourne, Newcastle, Brisbane, Canberra, no surprise, um, and what content they share and which. Uh, so a, this A-U-S-P-O-L hashtag? Yeah, Ospol. Ospol? Mm. Is that a politics thing or is that a yeah I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure it's a politics thing again i could be yeah. wrong as well there's those two things politics and cybersecurity. i'm not big fans of but um I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a politics thing but this this is really really interesting too the, the other thing too that i can see on my screen is the most active networks and when you did right. it for the world uh linkedin was the most active network uh for this one it's facebook followed by linkedin as well the other right. thing too we talk about as marketers all the time, talk, speak to your persona in their language. You know what I mean? Like don't talk down to them or up to them, that sort of thing. And on this screen as well, the audience insights, I can see the frequently used phrases and words in their shares in their content. So right. just naturally, if we're using, you know, network and access versus, I don't know, groups and, you know, uh, you know entry, for example, then yeah. that's going to resonate with them a little bit more. So it, it's, it, I love it. It's very easy to use, very kind of um, what you see, what you get visual. And for, I mean, whether you're a brand marketer or an agency or whatever, it's very graphic as well. There's a lot of, obviously for the folks just listening, you can't see the pie charts and, and all the, you know, kind of little uh, graphics, but it's very visual. It's, it's really, really nice. Um, and, yeah, it's sort of, yeah. We wanted to make it something that is, just incredibly easy to understand, right? The first time you see it, you're like, oh, right. 47% of, or whatever, 50% of people who talk about cybersecurity regularly online follow Brian Krebs, 
I don't know who that is personally. Or, but, or Brian K. Ribs, <laughs> whatever. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, like, right. But that is an incredibly important person. And we, we have this concept too that, you know, if you want to, for example, uh, look at people who uh, frequently talk about cybersecurity versus people who use InfoSec in their bio, right, in their job title, and see the differences and similarities between those folks, uh, you could right, compare one versus another and see the overlap visually and numbers-wise. So, you know, okay, there's uh, 86,000 accounts that frequently talk about cybersecurity, 7,000 that talk about InfoSec, and the overlap is about 2,300, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then I can see uh, the distinctive data between the two of them and the overlap in data between the two of them, right? So distinctively, that cybersecurity group was following Brian Krebs a lot, but Cisco security actually does better in the overlap, right? Mm. So if I'm targeting people who both talk about cybersecurity and have InfoSec in their profile, this, this uh, Cisco account, this, this Haydn uh, 33K, Iron Geek, Security Humor, ATTRC, those might be accounts to go after instead, right? I can see websites that are visited, including dhs.gov here in the US, MIT, IT Pro Day, um, all, all that kind of stuff. So it just gives you like a, a depth of data in, in seconds that would take you, what would it take you to get this data otherwise? Like, what do you have to do? Build your own crawler to go visit all your, all the social and web profiles of everyone in your audience and then try and extract that information. It's just an incredible pain in the butt. And there are companies that do it, but it's ludicrous as opposed to, uh, you you can do this for free, right? You can do this for free on SparkToro, get this data. And if you're like, man, I'm using this all the time, great, awesome. Then you can sign up for a paid account. But like we said, we're really trying to help folks do this uh, for free and get value from that. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you for that. I think that's a really good, um, really, really good overview of what the tool can do. And yeah, I mean, I, I've played with it a lot. I didn't do the compare audiences. So even as you're just talking, I was like, oh, I'm going to get HubSpot and marketers and look at the overlap, you know? Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. Really like yeah, that. Yeah, if you find, if you find sort of two brands that you know are um, competitive with one of your clients, for example, and you plug them in, you can see kind of the intersect and overlap. You can compare those, one of the, you know, competitor's brand to your client's brand and show them like, hey, here's the group they're reaching that we're not reaching, and then here's attributes about that audience and where we could go target them. So if we think, you know, let's say we're competing with whatever, Eloqua and HubSpot are competing, and, and HubSpot's trying to figure out who's Eloqua reaching that we're not reaching, hey, let's go after those, that group, right? And where do we reach them? This is the spot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Rand, thank you so much for your time. I've only got a, a couple of quick questions, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, one of them is around, uh, and I can see it there in behind you, the Lost and Founder book that you oh, have yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I have to admit, I have to admit, because I'm not going to lie. Um, I remember when you announced it, I'm like, oh, I better get that. And I didn't. So I'm going to go get that now. <laughs> but um, uh, I've, I've kind of you know read the quick sort of summary, but why don't you sort of tell folks about um, what that book is and the lessons you've shared sure. in that book? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I have a lot of conversations with, you know, with folks like yourself, um, founders and entrepreneurs, folks in, in, in marketing, and I kept finding that the same conversations would come up again and again. You know, think, things like what we talked about early on, right, about 
being vulnerable and being able to be yourself and, and um, things like uh, getting more sleep and less stress to be able to perform better work, uh, talking about hiring and scaling teams, talking about you know, going through anxiety and depression in the, in the context of the work world, raising capital or not. All those kinds of topics were things I just, I, I could not have enough coffees with enough people, right? <laughs> like, and, and so Lost and Founder is really a way to try and take 17 years of mostly doing dumb, dumb shit <laughs> and scale the lessons from that for other entrepreneurs and founders and marketers uh, and builders so that, look, we're all gonna make mistakes, but you don't have to make exactly the ones I made. And, and my sense is that if you can, if, if the stories in there or the research um, or the combination of those two things can resonate with you and prevent you from falling down those same pits that I did, um, that, that would be a wonderful thing. If you if you're going to add a, an, an amendment to it and you were writing that during COVID, uh, would you add anything different, or do you think those lessons are enduring enough? Hmm. Uh, the, I think the one thing that I wrote about uh, in Lost and Founder that seems much less applicable in the pandemic, in the context of the pandemic, is I had a whole chapter on beware the pivot. Right, beware of pivoting your business or just assuming that. Um, in many cases, a, a lot of early stage companies, a lot of early stage teams do this. They launch and they're sort of like, look, it doesn't really matter whether our product is right or our market is right. If it's not right, we'll figure it out and we'll pivot. And what is, I think, uh, underappreciated is how difficult it is to change direction, how difficult it is to change your positioning, your product, your target market, you know, how much work you lose when you do that. Um, and how much time you, how much time it takes. Uh, but I think in the context of the pandemic, look, almost everyone has to pivot very quickly to just to make it through. And, and I wish I had provided more tools and resources for people thinking about how can I pivot in a way that is low enough effort and high enough confidence to give myself the time um, and the security to be able to get through a really challenging period like what we have now. Awesome. Uh, and final question, Rand, you, you've spoken about focus wins uh, and I think you've touched on it a little bit earlier. It's a marathon. Can you talk to that really quickly? Sure. Yeah. I mean, just broadly speaking, I, I learned my lesson that trying to do lots of things simultaneously is a recipe for disaster. And, you know, this is one of the reasons SparkToro is so incredibly focused on just one thing. Um, just providing this data as opposed to trying to do, you know, 50 other things that, that potential customers might want. And so I, I am a big believer in specializing, identifying a need, and then, and then relentlessly becoming best in the world at that. Uh, there are so, so few examples of companies, especially early stage companies, who've ever done two things well. Just two. Do one thing well. Do that first. That's my advice. Awesome. Rand, thank you so much for your time. I don't know how you do this. You must be uh, in such demand by folks like myself. Uh, oh, thanks, no, Moby. This is an absolute pleasure. You, you are a great interviewer, my friend. Really, you are. Thank you, Rand. That I means see, a lot. I can see why this podcast resonates. You just have like your voice, your style, your uh, flow. It's great, man. You got awesome. something here. Thank you so much, Rand. We That's love great. what you're doing and, and keep doing what you're doing.
Likewise, man. Take care of yourself. Thanks for listening to Inbound Buzz. Learn anything? Return the favor by spreading the word. Want to make your mark in digital? Need help with your digital strategy, inbound, and marketing automation efforts? Then visit redpandas.com.au and be sure to tune in next time for another Inbound Buzz hit.